When I say people before purpose, what do I actually mean? And when I say the silver bullet, the one truly magical solution is to build relationships, what does that look like? Today, we will unpack two relationship forms. Congenial relationships are based on personal connections, while collegial relationships are based on professional connections. We will dig deeper into each of these and into how to lead when teachers are in crisis. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. We are all on a leadership journey. Every day, we have a chance to grow. Every day, we have a chance to help others grow. My goal and the goal of this podcast is to help you grow into being a strategic leader, a leader who puts people before purpose, who solves problems instead of treating symptoms, and who understands the difference between progress and action. Through this podcast, my daily email and virtual programs, I'm working to build a network of inspired and inspiring school leaders. Let's get started on today's adventure and this unique opportunity to learn to live and lead better. Fortunate enough to provide training in schools and organizations around North America, Dr. Kevin Maybe has made himself a student of what enables humans to positively interact with one another. He's a believer that humans can be purposeful in their efforts to support one another and that approaching every situation with an open mind allows for the greatest amount of wisdom to present itself. Dr. Maybe has been privileged to call himself a teacher, principal, national facilitator, and global professional instructor for the Crisis Prevention Institute. I've been looking forward to this conversation with Kevin since first meeting him in early January because it's going to be very relevant to so many facets of the work that you, my listening leader, do on a daily basis. Hey, welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thank you, Frederick. So we always like to start with a celebration. What are you celebrating today? Oh, I love that. Uh, well, it, it is my wife's 40th birthday tomorrow. Uh, so we're, 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 we're celebrating her last day in her 30s. How about that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny because this past weekend we celebrated my mom's 90th birthday. So I guess her last day's in her 80s. So we're really excited about that. And, and I will say so many times we get caught up in our work. And so I'm really speaking to listeners right here. Take take those times and mark those decades. They are kind of rites of passage and you're going to be working for years and years. So don't be afraid to take a day, take a few hours and really celebrate with the people that you love and celebrate those birthdays and all those other things. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Frederick. So Kevin, is there a story that drives the work that you do or that somehow explains how you got to the point in your journey where you're at? Yeah, uh, I really, I would go back to my time as a classroom teacher. Uh, I was a high school English teacher for 12 years and the first five years or so, I, I don't think I really paid a lot of attention to uh, the here and now or anything beyond the here and now, I should say. I was very focused on the emotions that were in front of me, the academic goals I had in front of me, things like that. Uh, however, I, the story more come, comes somewhere around year seven or eight, uh, somewhere between five and 10, uh, where I had a student who had a lot of different emotional needs. And uh, I, I started recognizing that I could have an impact on those needs if I really took the time to understand them. I didn't judge them. Uh, I didn't I was able to separate out uh, the academic goals I had for this student from some of the stories she was sharing with me from home. Uh, and, and really that led me to recognize that uh, this student had some big needs, but all of my students had some small needs. Uh, every, we all do. We, every, every one of my colleagues had needs. And so uh, I really turned my classroom efforts uh, to go well beyond academics and to really focus in more on what's going on with my students today. And I feel like it had an incredible impact, uh, not just on my relationships with the, the, the students I serve, but uh, it had an incredible impact on how well they did in classes as, as well. Uh, and, and really just trying to reinvent my mindset 
really helped me with my relationships with my colleagues uh, as well. So it, it, I, I would go back to that one student uh, around uh, my seventh year of teaching and say that was a big uh, difference maker for me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, you know, it's an incredible jump when you go from teaching curriculum to teaching kids. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things where I, if they had told me that in college, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I, you know, I, I, I could have, everybody could have preached that to me. They might have preached it to me, but I was so overwhelmed with being able to be the good English language arts teacher I, I sought to be that I, it really took a while for me to be able to get there. But man, I, I, I wonder if sometimes uh, teachers don't realize uh, that that we can flip that switch uh, somewhere along the way. Once we've got that curriculum mastered, we can really start to master uh, the individuals we work with. So I, that's part of my messaging. Uh, when I work with with, with teachers, is uh, it, it, almost exclusively now it's it's on how can we see uh, the people in front of us and, and be able to respond uh, as well as we can to what's going on with them. Yeah, show 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 listeners know my message this year, the big focus is people before purpose. And I think yeah. that's actually a perfect example that when we come at it purpose to teach English or whatever it is, it's easy to forget about the, not that you forget about the kid, but you're missing those layers. But when you, mm -hmm. when you make that shift to people first, it just enhances everything. And this is actually a great segue into our first question. So we're going to discuss crisis support and difficult conversations, but the foundation for helping people is relationships. So let's begin there. When we talk about the need to have a relationship with someone, what does that actually look like? And in other words, what constitutes a healthy relationship between a school leader and a teacher? Yeah. So if you don't mind, I'm going to share something I know about advertising and marketing. If you want to reach an audience, you have to have seven impressions. Uh, that's that's the number they give. Uh, on average, it takes somebody seeing your your name or your messaging seven times to really uh, resonate with somebody that 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 you exist as a company. We as as, as school leaders, we really need to approach our relationships with our teachers in a similar way. Uh, we can make a really, really incredible impact in one impression. Uh, it's not always seven, uh, but let's, for instance, if I give a nice smile and a hello to a teacher seven days in a row, that's, that's going to start to make an impression. Uh, however, if I smile and say hello three days, and then on that fourth day, I, I I ask a couple of questions. I get curious. I start to know that person. Uh, that That is the start of really having a, a relationship as opposed to uh, just uh, be, being cognizant of one another, right? So when we have that sort of relationship, that enables us then to start to, uh, to recognize pieces in, in, in a person's life that might be affecting them on a given day. So when I think about relationship, it's not just about knowing the person, it's about being able to recognize and respond to what's going on with that person. And it might be a really positive thing. Man, uh, that teacher is is really, really excited to be here today. That's different than her baseline. So let, let's, let's figure out what's going on. Or, hey, there's something really, really uh, bothering that person today, maybe. Uh, so, so maybe I need to dig into that. And if I don't know that baseline, I can't, I can't do any of that. So talk a little bit more about that that baseline and and yeah. I guess some of those specific techniques because I I heard you I mean one is just acknowledging people in the hall um which I think should be the default but you also talked about asking questions and I always think that requires presence right to me the first step and you can challenge me on this it seems like the first step is always be present and when you're present it's not present thinking about all the other stuff I have to do and just kind of nodding right it's it's like you said, it's listening. That's the first step. And then, like you said, asking questions and doesn't have to be professional questions. You're trying to learn about the person. Is that right? Yes and no. Uh, so, so number one, absolutely. I want to know everything I can about a particular teacher. Uh, does that person uh, have a partner? Does that person have kids? Uh, why did that person become a teacher? Things like that. Uh, what other... Uh, talents uh, make this person the, uh, the the person that he, she, or they 
are. I, so, so all of those things are important. One of the biggest lessons I feel I learned as a principal was that I wanted to take that relationship from congenial to collegial. Uh, so teachers love when people uh, want to know more about their wisdom. Uh, we, we work with so many wise talented people and they, they 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 go behind closed doors and they, they teach a classroom full of kids and often that wisdom doesn't get to uh, make its way to their colleagues or their 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 school leaders so uh, one of the things that I like to do with teachers uh, anytime I get that chance to talk with them one-on-one -on -one or in a small group is just engage with them and collegial conversation about about schools and and the, the wonderful thing about schools is it's, it's a giant science experiment that's never going to run out of uh, of, of different different experimental uh, challenges, you know, uh, we can we can talk to our teachers about uh, how we can we can keep uh, new teachers feeling feeling involved and feeling like they're growing and feeling positive about the experience. We can we can talk to our veteran teachers about uh, about the way that we we serve our tier one kids and and what we can do to to to, to help them uh, not grow into those other tiers, things like that. I I think as school leaders, if we can have collegial conversation and be genuinely curious and interested, and and those pieces, uh, sometimes those can have a greater impact than those congenial conversations about our families and and things like that. So to be clear for listeners, the congenial part is that more personal life and understanding what's going on there. But yes. then layering onto that is the collegial part, which is talking about our practice. Yeah. And, and Frederick, I, to, to add to that, I would say that if you jump straight to the collegial, sometimes people as school leaders, sometimes teachers might be thinking, well, what is, what's he trying to do here? Is he, is he trying to, is, is he trying to figure out if I know something or don't know something? And, and we got to make sure we have that congenial, congenial relationship first so that we can then have true share what you really think collegial conversation. And that's where, that's where the fun really can take off. Yeah. I, this makes a lot of sense. So from that, when I think another piece of that collegial discussion or conversation you said that teachers like to share. And I think that's another place sometimes where we miss those opportunities, because even if we're talking about their instructional practice, it seems like there's this real pressure on school leaders to always have to be able to give feedback. I have to be able to give something by telling the other teacher. And I, I think we miss the boat on that because it really is about listening and, and setting them up to be able to share their practice. Like that's a huge gift. You know, you started the podcast today with, hey, what are you celebrating today? I I, I also, I like to go through my days. I, I think my thing like that is, is what did I learn today? And and I can't learn something today if I'm just going and giving everybody else feedback all day long. And a school, ironically, is a great place to learn something every single day. So so it, it's real important, yeah, when we interact with with our, our teachers, our colleagues, or even our students or their parents, uh, that we're able to take a step back and think about the way we do things and, and to just be open-minded to that learning. Okay. So I think this next question is going to build on that. And when yeah. we first met, you mentioned the idea of purposeful interactions. And I really like that term is all about intentionality. And one of the challenges that school leaders have when they're caught in that black hole of urgency, they're reacting. And yet you're talking about kind of reframing some of that and using purposeful interactions. So what does that mean? And what does that look like? So when we think purposeful interactions, we are maybe even doing a step beyond where we just talked about. You've got congenial and collegial. Let's let's talk about big picture things. Now let's get into the nitty gritty and talk about uh, what's going on with you today. What can I help you with? What can you maybe help me with? Uh, so so again, the relationship grows to that point. We can't just jump into that, uh, but a lot of us try to. We, we we try to walk into a classroom and observe it and be immediately helpful with uh, some feedback that we might think is really, really valuable. Uh, but but if we can uh, really build up to those sorts of conversations, that's 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 one key. But then the second key is don't be afraid of those, those types of uh, feedback conversations. Uh, I, I, I just read... Uh, 
I'm going to forget the name of this book, uh, but I just read this book about giving and receiving feedback. And, and uh, I'll, I'll try to look it up for you here as we go. But the the uh, the nature of the book really helps us know that there are three types of feedback. And and uh, one of those types is is evaluatory. Uh, but but it, of course, we, we sometimes have to give that evaluative feedback. Uh, but then the the other type of feedback or another type of feedback is is is, is really just the affirmation piece where we are affirming things that are going well uh, and, and the, being able to really look at uh, those different, uh, being able to, to provide both types of feedback uh, can be real important when we get into those, uh, those those feedback types of conversations so that we're not just evaluating, we're, we're affirming and uh, we're, we're helping people learn and grow. And then the third type of feedback? And Frederick, I am... <laughs> Yes, I, I put myself on the spot right here. Um, there, there's appreciation, there's evaluative, and then there's coaching. And, and that's, that's the, the third type of feedback that, that can uh, really feel good if we built up that, uh, that the, the, the congenial and the collegial piece of the relationship in the first place. I didn't know I was going to talk about this book today, but it sure, uh, it sure resonated when you asked that question. I thought, okay, well, this is one that people could, could definitely benefit from. I think we always need to pay attention when we encounter those moments of synchronicity. In that book, I just looked up, it's called Thanks for the Feedback by Sheila Heen and Douglas Stone. I, I, again, I, it sounds like I only half remember it uh, or two thirds remembered it, but it, it's a great book. And I'm currently trying to wrap my mind around how, how what, are, what are some new ways that I can use that knowledge from that book and some of my work. Mm, okay. We could do a whole nother discussion on that, on that piece of it. Because um, yes. again, listeners will know, I, I do think we focus on feedback a little too much. And I think that it, when we know we have, right, air quotes, we must give feedback. I do think it inhibits people from getting in the classroom because we think I only have three minutes. And if I go in the classroom, then I've got to see something that I've got to be able to give feedback on. And I don't think that's really the kind of feedback that we're talking about, right? We're talking about substantive feedback that helps a teacher get better, which probably means that, that we've formed a partnership with that teacher about what we're giving feedback on. All right. So, I, I, I want to tell you about a, a, a quick quick story about a an assistant principal I had when I first was observed as a classroom teacher. The, the very first observation I ever had, uh, I was I was really excited. I knew he was coming in, and I planned this great lesson around the cask of Amontillado with by Edgar Allan Poe. And and what we did is, I mean, we we were doing cool little gimmicky things like like I had each student uh, illustrate a different piece of the story, and we went around the room with 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 flashlights and kind of shined them in our faces while they read these these different pieces. And I I I just I thought it was really engaging and and really cool. And uh, anyway, when the the hour was over, I had a, the kids left, and my 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 assistant principal came walking up, and I had a giant smile on my face, and I said, "How'd I do?" And he said, well, Kevin, I, I started counting uh, about five minutes into the lesson. And you said the word, okay, 77 times after that. And it, it, what's funny is I know what my response was. I said, okay. Uh, and, and then he walked out of the room and, and, and you know, that was, that was that. Now, it, at that point, I didn't have the relationship with him. He didn't know anything about me congenially. Uh, congenially. He didn't know. We hadn't really talked collegially. Um, I just got that 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 third level, that 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 feedback level, uh, where where I uh, it was a purposeful statement, and I, I hope you can tell on this podcast today that it impacted me. I I, I worked very hard on fillers uh, that year, and and hopefully going forward. Uh, but he did eventually give me plenty of coaching around that too, and 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 I think that if I had had that relationship better formed with him in the first place. I, I would have responded better and been able to jump into really attacking that need uh, a little bit sooner. So I, I guess maybe that's the message. When we talk about purposeful relationships, let's 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 build 
into that purposefulness and then be able to uh, really gauge whether that person uh, can can utilize coaching uh, at this particular moment, or maybe that person needs more of the appreciation, which is what I needed that day. Um, or you know, is this is this more evaluatory, which sometimes we have to do, of course, as, as assistant principals. So I really, you made a point there that I want listeners to really pay attention to, which is that idea that we're as part of that relationship, we're actually evaluating the needs of that teacher. And you said, can they take advantage of coaching at that time? Yeah. And that, that is part of the setup, isn't it? Because so many times I work with assistant principals and they're trying to coach somebody that's resistant to coaching. Coaching is not the best form of professional develop, development for everyone. And yet it's, it's very high resource intensive. So we need to be really mindful about who we choose to coach. Absolutely. And, and, and really, the, the funny thing is, Frederick, is that it is a great form of professional development for so many people. And, and so we, we really in schools talk about differentiation and, and we really have to differentiate uh, our feedback for, for people as well. There are other people, there are other, other guys, other, other, other ladies out there uh, that, that would have been in the same boat that I was. And that assistant principal would have walked up and said, Hey, you, you said the word, okay, 77 times. And that person would have said, I know it. I know it. I can work on that. I'm improving. And, and they would have been all over that feedback, that coaching in that moment. They would have been able to deconstruct. How can we fix that? Um, I wasn't there uh, in that moment. So, so it is really about reading. Where am I at in this relationship? And, and how can I, how can I help this, um, this, this person that I'm working with, this teacher I'm working with without uh, um, pushing our relationship uh, the wrong direction? Yeah. And if they, if they had that collegial relationship with you, and had been having conversations with you about your teaching, they might have known that maybe you weren't so worried about okay, but you were worried about the three people in the back corner that you kept trying to engage and you just didn't feel like you had the right strategies to pull them in. You had everybody else sucked in, but you just could never reach those three people. And that might have been a really, really meaningful place, right? Where assistant principal comes in and watches and then can say, okay, Kevin, here's what I saw, right? Here's, here's, I'm going to describe to you what I saw those kids doing. And, and then let's talk about what that data says about teaching and, and how we might reach those kids. Cause then you're dialed in and committed because he's helping you get what is the priority for you at that point in your classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I you're, you're making a great point. Uh, we, we've got to meet people where they are emotionally mentally or psychologically, uh, if we can do that, we're going to have a lot more success. Okay. So great segue, meeting people where they are, especially that emotional piece. And, and I think the big reason I wanted to bring you on the show was to talk about crisis. Um, you've done a lot of work around that, that I think is critical. So what constitutes crisis and then I think you have a crisis fame framework that you can use to help us understand that. Yeah. So a lot of people, uh, they, they, they think that a crisis has to be something gigantic, uh, to, to everybody in the room. Uh, you, you know, there, there are, uh, different things we see on the news that we could definitely define as a crisis. Right. However, uh, when a person is in crisis, uh, there there is something going on that's causing them to behave in an escalated way, and 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 so uh, the thing is, we all, we each, uh, are in crisis at some point every single day. Uh, there there's something that makes us uh, uh, what we we would define as an escalated behavior, and and so that does often stem from something traumatic. Uh, but but uh, my goal today, or uh, one of my goals in coming on the podcast was to tell you about the different behaviors that we would would constitute as a crisis at the Crisis Permission Institute. And, and to uh, just, I, I, it can be really, really helpful to uh, me as an individual that interacts with teachers or students, or even just as an, uh, an individual that interacts with people at a department store or, uh, you, you know, it, it, anywhere around town. So that's, um, I'd like to tell you more about that, if that's okay. Yeah. And I think, Again, we tend to think about kids in crisis and we know yeah. who our high flyers are and, and we look mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. But but I think we do a less 
less stellar job of looking at our teachers and recognizing crisis. And I love what you're saying about big crisis. So I may know if somebody just lost a parent or is fighting cancer, but I may not know all those other little, the signs that, that show us that there's other things going on. So I'd love to hear you dig into this. Yeah, well, one way to really easily summarize what we would call an escalated behavior is is when, uh, I'll say it this way. We we take all of the behaviors that you might see, any negative behavior, and we try to categorize it into one of four different things. And and the reason we do that is because if, if we made a list of 20 or 200, uh, teachers wouldn't be able to remember that. I, as a leader, wouldn't be able to remember that. So uh, our four behavior levels are anxiety, defensive, risk behavior, and then what we call tension reduction. Now, Risk behaviors get most of the attention. Those are the things like the uh, the, the the school fighting, uh, the kicking and the biting, and 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 you name it. Uh, all of those things where a person's trying to hurt oneself or hurt others. Uh, however, we as school leaders, uh, we're more likely to encounter teachers who are either anxious or defensive. And 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 really, I, I and I could break those down further as well. But that's that's where I might be anxious just because I'm interacting with you right now, my school leader, and I've had a bad interaction with a school leader in the past. Uh, I might have had a bad interaction with you in the past or one where I felt uh, unsupported. So what we try to do is give a corresponding uh, staff approach, a corresponding approach to, to any kind of behavior we see. So for instance, an anxiety behavior, we want to be supportive. If we see a defensive behavior, uh, we want to be directive. And and, and I, I'd like to talk more about each of those, but am I making sense so far, Frederick? Are there questions about those uh, behaviors? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love this specific example about teachers being anxious because of previous evaluation or previous conversations they have had with principals. And a lot of times, if, if you're a new assistant principal, new principal coming into a new school, you don't know the histories of those teachers and you don't know what traumas they may have experienced yes. with leadership in the past, which takes us back to the beginning of building those relationships. But yeah, it makes so much sense. So please. Yeah. And, and I, I love, I mean, I don't love that you have to use the word trauma, but but the word trauma is is another one that that we can really uh, further define. Uh, and, and we can think about uh, the way that our psychological and physiological responses differed before an event versus after an event, right? Uh, and, and, and so if I didn't used to respond in this anxious way, and now I do, uh, there, that is a, there is a trauma that is involved there. And, and, and it might be the trauma of, of course, a bad, a bad interaction with an assistant principal or, or any other sort of, uh, feedback related trauma. So part of being supportive when people become anxious is to be non-judgmental. You know, uh, you could, you, you might have, when I told that story about saying the word, okay, too many times, you, you as a listener might think, oh, well, Kevin, you need to have tougher skin. That, that was really light, easy feedback. Right. Uh, others of you might've said, oh my goodness, that is, that, that, that's hard. You know, you, you created this great lesson and this is the feedback you got. So it, being supportive means that we're, we're going to be non-judgmental, uh, and we're going to be em empathetic. We're going to, we're going to try to, to recognize what it is is that I can help you with today. So uh, that might be uh, letting somebody know that, hey, hey, there's nothing, nothing uh, that, that uh, to be anxious about here. I'm here to help you not to, not to challenge you today. Um, it might be just by being direct and saying, hey, here's what we're going to accomplish in this meeting today. And, and that, that can help a, a teacher to feel less anxious about an interaction. Um, other times, it might be something that is uh, more on that congenial side. It might be a side hug. It might be a, hey, I'm going to take your hand in mine and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about you and your family, and I, I, I want to I want to make sure we as a school family are here for you. Those types of things. I'll, you name it, there are so many different ways to be supportive when a person's anxious. Uh, yeah. any, any questions about that, Frederick? No, those all those all make a lot of sense. And, and I I think if people are dialed in and realize and recognize that anxiousness, these are kind of natural responses. So this, this will resonate with people. 
Yeah. We well, so we hope so. We hope that they are natural responses. But one thing that is important to note is that uh, sometimes uh, we we for whatever reason we 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 turn off those natural responses. We we don't see it happening right in front of us because. I mean, I will say as a school leader, when I've got a dozen different things going on and I need to go deliver this piece of information or or have this quick conversation and move on to the next thing, I I I I'm thinking about my agenda. I'm not thinking about slowing down and being supportive. And I might have had to come into your classroom to give you an update on a student and then if, if, if I'm not ready to recognize your anxiety in front of me, it might not be about me. It might be about something going on at home or something like that. Then, then I'm not going to be helpful. I might even make it worse. So it's real important that we just kind of have like an anxiety radar kind of going on uh, because uh, like I said, we all probably at some point today will be anxious for one reason or another, even just for a fleeting moment. Uh, so if we can help if people can help us, if we can help others, that, that can make a big difference. Yeah. Thank you for that. So can we move on to the defensiveness? Yeah. And and so I think maybe this is um, where, where the most learning can happen uh, from uh, my explanation of these behavioral levels, because uh, defensiveness is, is responding to a real or perceived challenge. Uh, so when we, I, I might not be challenging you, but you might might feel challenged. Uh, or you, you're, you're perceiving me as, as a challenge. And so um, this is where you get things like uh, information seeking questions that are not necessarily uh, polite, uh, but they're more, well, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do it the way like that? Then there's more challenging questions where where, where people, uh, uh, they're maybe wondering what gives me the authority to do something, uh, something along those lines where they're questioning my 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 credentials or authority. Uh, but then the other defensive behaviors include things like refusal, uh, just, just refusing to do something uh, both verbally or non-verbally. Uh, release is when I yell or I might even cuss, uh, things like that. Uh, and then intimidation is is an, another, another tactic that sometimes people use. And I'm not necessarily saying that teachers uh, would, would use all of these, uh, but, but sometimes if we catch a person at the wrong time, uh, there's something that's influencing their behavior and making them feel threatened or challenged by, by me. So my goal as, as a school leader or just as a human uh, in those moments is to be directive. And, and that doesn't mean that I'm gonna tell you what to do all the time. My goal though, is to help you move from your, your emotional brain into your thinking brain. And I, I know there's a lot of talk about this in education right now, but it, it's a real scientific thing. Like right now, we are both thinking with our prefrontal cortex. Uh, but if I got emotional, if something surprised me in a negative way right now, I might start to use my more primitive limbic system. And that's where that's where I start to make bad decisions and say things I wish I could take back, things like that. So uh, it's real important when a person's in their emotional brain, when they're being defensive, that I, I give them some way to get back to their thinking brain. So sometimes me saying, hey, Frederick, big deep with me. And we take that big deep breath and 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 we're we're starting to get back into our thinking brain. Other times it's hey, come take a walk with me. Let's let's take a seat. So I'm I'm literally telling you I'm what to do. I'm giving you a directive that's easy for you to pick up on. Uh, but other times I can be directive more so with my my body language. Uh, you, you know, if I if I'm standing there with my arms crossed and having a very stern conversation with you and you start to to get upset. I might I might uncross my arms and take a step back and put my hand on your shoulder and, and say, hey, I'm, 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 I'm sorry to, to to upset you today. I'm sorry that this news is surprising. Whatever it might be, my apology might actually form a connection with that person and get that person back into one's thinking brain. So it, it, there, there are so many ways to do it. And that's 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 one of the things that we really get dig into deeply in one of our uh, Crisis Prevention Institute courses. Uh, but But being able to recognize that the right thing to do when we see defensive behavior is not to be defensive ourselves. Uh, that that can have an incredible uh, impact. I was working with a group of pre-service teachers a couple of weeks ago and about specifically about establishing classroom procedures. And one of the things that I emphasized over and over was when kids break procedures, it's not about you. 
It's not about the mm -hmm. teacher. They have a million other things that they're worried about. And I think similar advice for administrators is important. When a teacher is defensive, probably most of the time it isn't about you. And, and when we think, I think when we talk about defensive teachers, a lot of us default to, oh, the 30-year-old veteran who's resistant and doesn't want to try anything new. But that resistance isn't about you as a person. That resistance may be about all the experiences that they've had with new leaders coming in and implement and change something and this too shall pass. And, and so a lot of the assumptions that they're making may actually be correct or are based on you know, real and, and legitimate concerns about prior events. So I think that's part of this as a leader in not being defensive is also recognizing you don't need to be defensive because it's not about you. Yeah, I I love that example, Frederick, because so so part of my time as a principal was in the uh, private school system, and 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 at a Catholic school, uh, a lot of times uh, those those folks who were veteran teachers, they were they were between years thirty and forty, like they they stick around a little bit longer because uh, that that's 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 just part of the uh, the system of of how it works, at least in Missouri in our Catholic uh, schools, and and so uh, what what I I recognize is that if, if I was a veteran teacher at that school who'd been teaching and teaching really well for 35 years, they, I, I as that teacher, don't necessarily want uh, somebody else to come in and say, well, hey, this year we're going to try uh, using iPads in the classroom, or hey, we're going to try to use this or that, because they know that they're doing their job well already. So it, 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 that defensiveness is not about me personally. It's about this 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 questioning of of their crafts sometimes and what a what an important thing to have some passion about i i, I love that, that 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 passion exists in a veteran teacher so so helping them to to maybe maybe sometimes being directive is saying hey let me let, let me tell you more about why this is a goal the school has maybe it is an explanation more than it is a debate you know um maybe it's providing extra support uh, and and i i know that a lot of our listeners here will will have plenty of strategies for the resistant teacher uh but but i think to your point frederick really recognizing that that uh that resistance uh, is something that we can't meet with our own defensiveness. I can't get I can't get defensive because you're defensive. I need to somehow figure out a way to direct you back into your thinking brain. Yeah, I, I like to say motivation equals value divided by effort, and yeah. and sometimes we can equate lack of motivation as resistance, right? And and so remembering though that that it's just that equation and if i'm a teacher that's had success for 30 years doing what i've been doing and now you're coming and asking me to try some new technology there's mm -hmm. a lot going on there but part of it is the value is small okay if i can become a little bit better maybe but what i'm doing already works so i don't see a value in pushing and the other thing is that new change you may think it's easy and it's a small thing, but to me as the veteran teacher, that may be seem like a huge effort at, at multiple layers, right? Emotionally, physically, technically. So I'm seeing this big E effort for little V. I'm not going to be on board with that. And, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, you're, I'm, I'm going to be resistant. And so I think as leaders, part of that then is understanding that that kind of equation, what, what does the resistance really mean, right? What's behind this resistance? And you talked about perception and my perception, maybe it's really valuable. Their perception may, may be that it's not. Well, I don't know what the truth is. The truth in, in some ways, the truth doesn't matter, right? Because it is the perception. And so understanding that when we meet that, that resistance of, again, going back and taking the time to understand what's going on? What are they thinking? And, and how valuable do they see this and how much effort am I in fact asking them to do? Absolutely. I, and, and again, uh, you just did a whole lot of, 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 of thinking right there. And, and that's, that's where, when we get, when we get, when emotion comes to us, I should say, when we have that, uh, that front of emotion that we're presented with, 
human nature is to get emotional ourselves. So, so if you get angry with me and say, Kevin, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to do this in my classroom or you, 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 for whatever reason, refuse to do it even without telling me I might start to get emotional. And now I'm not using my thinking brain. I'm not thinking about that equation uh, of, of victory that you just uh, equated for us, Frederick. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the personal end of this. And so it really is when we see defensive behavior about trying to figure out a way to stay in our thinking brains. And sometimes that's walking away and composing ourselves. And other times that's that's simply remembering uh, that that if I can just keep in mind that that's what's happening right now, that my brain's trying to slip into its emotional brain, I can, I can sometimes keep it in my thinking brain just, just by virtue of knowing this. And, and I'll say this, man, this, this has helped me not just in my interactions with teachers or their parent or, or students, parents, uh, but, but also with, uh, with my own family. Yeah. When my, my own teenagers are, are defensive, I can stay in my thinking brain a whole lot better than I could uh, earlier in my life. Oh, I remember when my kids were teenagers and I could just, I felt it. It was like a spring just boink in my head. And I knew <laughs> right. lizard brain was yes, fully engaged. Yes, yes. And it's harder sometimes when we're in, the more emotionally invested we are with the person or with the idea, it becomes harder to, to stay out of that lizard brain. Absolutely. It, it, it definitely is not an easy thing to do. Uh, so that's, that's where... I, I really think when we think about the what I've what I've told you so far about a crisis prevention institute training, uh, some of it seems like uh, well, yeah, I I I agree. I don't want to get into my emotional brain. Uh, what we try to do with our trainings is really uh, give people an avenue to have a conversation about those things, about brain science, and about how we think. Uh, on a regular basis, so that so that then uh, we are more likely to react positively. It's, it's one of those things it, w that is not like riding a bike. Uh, I I have to practice regularly staying in my thinking brain in order to be able to be a person who stays in my thinking brain uh, in those moments. So so it's important that that we we remind ourselves and have discussions and be collegial about uh, brain science. Yeah. So. I think I want to do one more question about kind of crisis and then we'll, sure. we'll start to put a, a bow tie on this. You know, everybody, the last three, four, five years in this country have been really stressful. They continue to be stress stressful. We had the, the pandemic. We have really deep and powerful political divisions in our country. Um, people have lost people. There's so much going on. And I tend to think almost all the adults, not to mention the kids, are living with some kind of trauma. Like our whole country is traumatized. How, as leaders, how do we kind of recognize this unique period of time? How do we still move forward with the work, keep getting better, but also recognize that a lot of our people are in recovery or operating under tremendous stress. And maybe many of us are not at the top of our game right now. So how do I keep trying to grow people, but also recognize that there is this whole trauma? Yeah. Well, you know, I said earlier that one way we can look at trauma is, is, is as an event where I had a, a different physiological, psychological response to uh, to, to, to the world, uh, prior to the event than I do after the event. And, and so I, it really is important, uh, that we take it, we, we acknowledge that this event did happen. The, the, the if we want to call the pandemic, for instance, the event, uh, right now, it seems that 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 we are getting further and further away from that event, but but there are so many people that were affected in so many different ways uh, by by the pandemic that there are still uh, remnants of that, of course, and and so. It, it, I, I like to to look at the pandemic in this way, uh, for instance, that 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 event hopefully pushed us to connect more as people. and 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 so to go back to the beginning of our podcast today, uh, as a school leader, 
I might have approached something in 2018 different than 2023 in the sense that in 2018 I could be all business and I could I could break out that new that new uh, initiative we have at the school, be passionate about it, and get people to to, to to jump on board. Whereas in 2023, I might have to really be focused on those one-on-one relationships, uh, make sure I'm building the congeniality and then the collegiality, and building that to the feedback, and 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 then being able to uh to to then uh really jump into some of these new initiatives uh it's it's just an an important place right now where we all realize uh because of the pandemic or because of some of those other things you pointed out that uh life life is is is, is so uh valuable and and we want to get the most out of our lives and and we uh, we, we, we want different sorts of approaches to the, we want to feel cared for at our school, uh, in a way different than maybe we did before that. So I guess that's my, my best advice is that, uh, I like to think that I'm thinking about my interactions with humans a little bit differently now than before that traumatic event. And I, I really want to keep doing that, uh, even, in, in, in the traumatic events that don't make the news uh, that, that this person has or that person has, I have to have that same approach of I might need to handle the way that I interact with you differently today than I did yesterday because something has happened that has changed uh, your physiological and psychological responses. So I'm going to try to paraphrase. <laughs> Thank you. One is back to where we started, relationships. Mm-hmm. Build those relationships with people and begin with the relationship. The second thing is to acknowledge that people bring their host whole selves to the work. It, I, I really used to think that we could just put our personal lives in a box, put it on the shelf when we walk into work, do our work, focus on teaching and leading. And then when we, when we left, we could take that box back and, and bring it home with us. And that's a flawed in this day and age i believe that is a flawed approach people are going to bring their whole selves to their work and if we build those relationships and we not we acknowledge that the whole self is there i think then that allows us to do the third piece of it which is meet people where they are that was well articulated frederick thank you for paraphrasing yeah just just repeating what you said and and (laughs) distilling it down um to those three points, I think that's important for principals, assistant principals, and people listening out there. Build those relationships, acknowledge that we're going to bring our whole person to work, and then meet people where they are. Absolutely. Okay. So as we wrap up, I have a couple important questions for you. And the first one is, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Ooh, I love these. Uh so one of the reasons I, I I read the feedback book is because I think that sometimes I get defensive whenever I get feedback and people are only trying to help me learn and grow. And, and I love to say that I am uh, very open-minded to all of the different input that I get from people on a regular basis. But man, do I have a hard evening when I go home and think about some feedback that I got that maybe just differed from my personal opinion of myself. Uh, so I, I, I think as leaders, we I, I think the thing that I'm growing uh, on is, is my ability to uh, be a leader, but also continue to be open to feedback and, and growth and, and to know that 20 years from now, even if I try my best every single day, there will still be things that I can do uh, to be uh, that much more effective uh, working with people. Hmm. And so if listeners could take away just one thing from today's episode, what would you like them to take away? Go back to the beginning and think about being, being congenial and building that the being collegial. That that one bridge right there is what helps folks start to be able to really have true human interaction. And 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 again, to to just make this point one more time, the difference between the two is if I'm being collegial, I am engaging with you about something that you're passionate about. Uh, this work that we do together, let's talk about that, and let's 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 not just talk about it, but act on it sometimes and learn from each other. So I think that collegial relationship is is 
so powerful. And uh, it's one of the best parts about working in a school. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. So before we go, anything else that you want to share with your listeners, with our listeners? Sure. Well, I, I, as, as you may know, uh, I talked a lot about the Crisis Prevention Institute uh, today. And I, I, one of my goals uh, as a person who provides trainings for CPI is, is to help grow our impact in uh, general education classrooms. Uh, we are widely seen as a company that helps out uh, teachers who work with escalated behaviors regularly, like special education teachers and school administrators. But uh, we have such an incredible curriculum that can be used in uh, in, in, in tier one uh, sort of situations. Uh, so, so in gen ed classrooms, that kind of thing. So I, I, I just hope that uh, if you are a person who's not familiar with us, or maybe you're familiar, but but I uh, haven't really uh, dug in too deeply, uh, check us out. And uh, I, I, I always love talking about uh, crisis prevention and human interaction. So reach out to me if, uh, if I can help you. Yeah. So Kevin, what, what are some ways that people can reach out to you? And, and we'll include all these things in the, in the show links, but what's the easiest way for people to contact you? Yeah, always email kmaybe at crisisprevention.com. Uh, and uh, that's M-A-B-I-E, even though it's pronounced like maybe. And uh, and and then if you want to, follow me on Twitter. I'm at callmedrmaybe. And uh, that's a playoff of the song by Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. Uh, but I threw the doctor in there. So <laughs> at callmedrmaybe. Uh, hopefully I put some good stuff out there that you can, you can uh, take in and message me anytime. Great. Hey, this has been a fun conversation. Thank you so much, Kevin. I agree. Thanks so much, Frederick. All right. Well, colleagues, this brings us to the point in the episode where it's your turn to participate by making an intentional choice. If you do nothing with what you've just heard, then you've spent the last 30 minutes or so being entertained. But if you choose to do something with this episode, then you will have made an investment in your own leadership. So I encourage you to do the following. Reflect on your relationship with the other adults in your building. Consider who you have collegial relationships with and who you have congenial relationships with and who you have both types of relationships with. Consider the following fast food techniques to build on either. You can work on enhancing congenial relationships by asking the second question. Ask, how are you? And when they say, I'm fine, respond with, okay, but really, how are you? And then listen. You can enhance collegial relationships with five-minute coaching by asking the three simple questions, what went well, did anything surprise you, and would you do anything differently? Both of these techniques are powerful because they do three things. First, they help you be 100% present to the other person. Secondly, they create a safe, invitational way for the person you're talking to to share without judgment about something they care about, their personal or and their professional lives. And third, it communicates that you care about them and their work. If you enjoyed today's show, please forward the show link to a colleague and say, you've got to listen to this. I want to talk about it. And please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm recording this podcast in early February, and the Assistant Principal Podcast just surpassed 18,000 show downloads, yet we only have eight ratings and a single review. When you review and rate the podcast, it makes it easier for other school leaders to find. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers.